Well, good morning, Grace Hill. It's good to be here with you all on the very last day of 2023. Um, yeah, just before I get into it, just really encouraged um, by the past couple months, really, just like our time of singing today, it was just really nice to sing along with the rest of our church. So kudos to our praise team for kind of leading us in that time. But it's your first time here. My name's Daniel, and I'm the, as Pastor Sam mentioned, I'm the college and Sunday operations director. And we'll get straight into the message today. Uh, so not a lot of stuff happened for me this year. Um, most importantly and most like, you know, biggest highlight was I got married uh, to my wife Esther in June. And yeah, like because of that, I also moved out of my parents' house, uh, just been kind of getting used to this new life stage. And, you know, in the spirit of it being the end of the year, um, it was a little slower this past week. So I got to be a little bit more intentional and got to look back on the year. And I looked at my calendar and man, like just seeing how much stuff was packed in, like just made me realize, man, how busy I was. Like, for example, on a normal week, Sundays are like my work days, right? Doing Sunday operations and whatnot. Tuesdays are meetings. Wednesdays, I meet with like college, a couple guys from college group in the mornings and community group at night. And then Friday, I meet with the rest of college group. And like, I was just looking at my schedule and I realized, man, there's just so much stuff going on. Just like a lot of stuff where I just feel so tired a lot of time this past year. And objectively, like I just got even more tired seeing how much stuff, you know, I was going through. And I wonder if any of you can relate as well. If 2023 life felt really busy, you felt kind of hurried. I wonder if you're feeling a little bit tired and weary right now. I want to ask you, like, how is your soul, right? How is your soul doing after another year of just work, relationships, school, whatever it might be that you went through? You know, are you, are you kind of doing well? Are you thriving? Or maybe are you like on the verge of giving up? Uh, today, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is a, all, is a letter written all about Jesus. And the author of Hebrews is a pastor, right? He's writing this letter to his church to remind them, hey, like even though your calendars might be filled with all these things, even though like all these other things might seem more urgent and important, Jesus is better. So if you have your Bibles, your programs. Uh, Turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3, and I'll be reading from the CSB. And at our church, we believe that God is present with us when we read his word. So if you're able, please stand with me as I read for us our passage today. So I'll read for us Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The author writes, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. So reading of God's word. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, as we approach uh, another year, as we look back on this past year, God, help us to know that you have a word for us today. Give us ears that are ready to hear and hearts that are receptive. And Holy Spirit, would you work in us during this time? In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you didn't know, back in November 2021, uh, I ran the LA Marathon. It was the first marathon and like one of those COVID hobbies that I picked up because I was kind of getting out of shape. Uh, and even though I trained for like eight months, like I went hard training almost every day, it was still probably the most physically challenging thing I've ever done in my life, right? I still remember like running across the finish line and yeah, like finishing that marathon was probably one of my proudest accomplishments in my life. 
And whether you know it or not, once you become a follower of Jesus, you're also entered into a sort of marathon or a race. Right? Throughout the New Testament, we see uh, the meta- this metaphor of a race being used by different authors to describe the Christian life. And the goal of the Christian life is to keep the faith. Right? It's, it's to be faithful to Jesus until we're with him and we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know this can sound like a cliche, but it's something that's kind of been on my heart and radar a little bit more recently because, you know, like there's so much news of pastors and leaders just falling away, of just kind of like not finishing the race and walking away from the faith, right? And it's just like sobering to know that it's not a given that every person who says, hey, I believe in Jesus, right, they're not going to finish the race because following him, it's hard and it's a lifelong marathon, now, if you're a long-distance runner, if you've run a marathon before or just kind of run to exercise, you know that pacing is a very crucial strategy, right, for a marathon. And not just for marathons, but for running. But if you go slower, right, than your normal pace, then you're going to end up with a slow time or, like, you're not going to have a good workout. But if you, like, start out really hot, right, going out really fast, you're going to burn out really quickly and you might not finish. You probably won't finish, there's a balance between going fast and slow depending on where you are in the race. And just like we're running, uh, pacing is also important for Christians, right? For our Christian life. Like if you're going too slow in life, you might kind of get stagnant and you stop running. If you go fast, too fast for too long, you're going to burn out, right? There's seasons where you need to go slower or you need to speed up, but no matter the pace, The author of Hebrews, he's saying you need to persevere, you need to endure, you need to keep moving forward. And yeah, the author of Hebrews, he's emphasizing endurance, right? He focuses on endurance because he knows life, it's not easy, right? It's hard, right? The word that he uses for race, right? Let us run this race is agon, which is literally where we get the word agony from, right? He's saying life is agony, right? Just living is agony. It's hard. He knows that there's going to be times you want to give up. There might be a time where you're asking yourself, hey, is it worth this following God thing? Is it worth being a Christian? And maybe that's where you find yourself today, right? It's the end of another year. You're tired from the grind of just work and just everything going on. And maybe you've considered giving up, right? Or others of you, you might feel like, hey, I'm doing kind of okay. I'm fine. But if you continue to live, if you continue to go this pace that you have been going in 2023, you're going to eventually burn out. So how do we endure the difficulties of 2024 well, right? How can we keep moving forward when life seems like agony? When, when, where do we find the endurance to keep the faith, right? Hebrews 12, our passage, it tells us that there's three components of a race that we have to consider if we want to endure. If we want to run well, we have to consider three things. So using the race language and metaphor, uh, the first thing we're going to look at is the hindrances, Right? We have to pay attention to the things that kind of get in the way of us running faithfully. We have to look at the hindrance. And the second, we have to consider the pacer. Right? I'll explain this a little bit later, but is there a guide? Is there someone that we can follow? Right? How can we adjust the pace that we're going in life? And then thirdly and lastly, we have to consider the finish line. Like what's waiting for us at the end? Right? What is the prize for enduring and living faithfully and running this race? So three things, the hindrances, the pacer, and the finish line. So let's take a look first at the hindrances. So when I first started training for my marathon, you know, one thing I didn't think I'd get so like deeply involved and interested in is the clothes, 
right? Because when I first started running, I just had like cotton shirt and just like basketball shorts because that's all I had, right? Like I didn't have anything special. But, you know, as I start to run more and more, like I did some more research and I found out, hey, like all the like world-class like pro runners, they wear these like very light and breathable like clothes, these like tank tops and shorts that like wick away sweat that's like barely there just so they can get like the smallest advantage to help them run a little bit faster. Um, Back in the days when the author was writing this letter, like, the, the runners took it a little bit, like, further. Like, they took literally everything off, right? So, like, pro runners today, you see them, you're like, whoa, like, they have barely anything on. Like, runners back in the day, they literally just ran without any clothes because they could have the slightest advantage to get rid of every weight. And that's the same principle for us in our lives, right? In our spiritual lives, verse 1 tells us to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And there's two hindrances. There's two things that really keep us, that prevent us from running well. And the first is sin, right? We'll look at sin. And there's a lot that can be said about sin, obviously. But for the sake of time, we'll just, we won't spend as much time here. But the author, he understands that sin, it so easily ensnares us, right? This is the nature of sin. You don't have to work hard to be caught by sin. For example, like last week um, on Instagram, I saw someone post about like a, mi- like a mice infestation in their garage. And they like put up pictures of like all these mice they caught in their mousetraps. I know, really gross. Like it's the first time I saw someone like actually use one, right? And for some reason, like for me in the past, I was like mousetraps would never work because like a mouse comes in, they see this huge metal thing like ready to kill them. Like how could they fall for that? But mice, like, I guess it actually works, right? These mice were all caught and dead because they want the cheese or whatever other thing that you put inside of the trap. And sin works just like this, right? For example, this might be kind of extreme, but let's say you struggle with lust, right? You might be just on your phone scrolling through Instagram, and then you're on the Explore tab, and you just kind of like something catches your eye, and you're like, huh, like, I know I struggle with lust. I shouldn't, but you, you kind of like find yourself just lingering there. Right? And then you're like, oh, like, I know I shouldn't be looking at it, but then you click on it. And next thing you know, you're just kind of going down this rabbit hole. And you know in your mind, like you've grown up knowing that you, shouldn't, you should run away from temptation, right? But just like the mouse, like whatever it is, that phone or anything else in your life is so appealing that we're just willing to just kind of, hey, forget about it. I'm going to fall into this trap. Right? And you get caught into it. You fall into temptation, so I want to ask, is there a particular sin right, that you've been struggling with? Is there a sin that's been weighing you down this season? Maybe the reason that you feel so tired these days is because you're carrying this guilt and shame from this unrepentant sin. Or it could be like that habitual sin that you thought you kicked right back in their college days. It's back again. It's trapped you and it's preventing you from moving forward. Some of you, uh, we might, you might be thinking, well, no, actually, I'm, I'm okay. There's no obvious sin in my life. I'm all right. I'm pretty good. But still, for some reason, you feel kind of like, bleh. I feel kind of apathetic about Jesus. And this is where I think the second hindrance might be a little bit more applicable for you. right? Because notice the author, he doesn't say just sin, but every hindrance. Right? In the Greek, the word for hindrance literally is just weight, mass, like something heavy. It's not just sin that hinders us in our race, but literally anything else in life can weigh us down. For example, if, imagine if I was running, right, and, and I'm like, hey, I'm so excited for my marathon. I'm going to go ahead and put on a weight vest. Like, why would I do that, right? 
I mean, it's not sinful. It's not against the rules, but it's not wise, right? It's not a good tactic. Why would you run with the weight vest? And Pastor John Piper, he's a very well-known pastor. He says that the question that we should be asking when we think about the hindrances, it's not, is it a sin, but does it help me to run? It's not about what I can get away with, but what's going to really set me up for success in my relationship with Jesus? I mean, like this spending all your time at the golf range, you know, working on your swing, is that going to help you know Jesus better? Maybe, right? Maybe you can or this binging all the episodes of the new season of Singles in Front of does that help you appreciate and see the beauty of Jesus and the magnificent, like, it could. I don't know how, but maybe you can, but probably not. Right? These things, they're not sinful in and of themselves, but are they helping you to run? And for me, one hindrance that's kind of shown up, and my wife Esther knows this, is, is the TV, right? Growing up, we didn't really have a big TV at home. Uh, but, you know, now I'm out living with just me and Esther. We have a nice couch. Like my default, the room I'm in the most is my living room, right? Because there's NFL season, basketball going on, college sports, and all these, again, different shows going on. So I usually just find myself like sitting down. Like my couch has like an indent because like, I spend so much time on it. And like I justify it in my mind. I'm like, well, like during the day, I work hard or like most days, you know, I work hard. So in the evening, I need to like, I need to relax. I need to unwind and just kind of veg out for a little bit. And if I'm honest, does, is this a sinful thing? I mean, maybe, maybe not. But more importantly, does this help me run? Does it help me in my relationship with Jesus, right? Do all these games that I watch, does it help me in my relationship with him? No, right? And what would the author of Hebrews say? He would say, hey, you need to lay that aside, it's so easy, right, to, to spend so much time on shows or anything else in life that we take ourselves away from what's better, which is Jesus. And you might be asking, so like, now, what, it, what does it mean to lay it aside, right? Do we just throw these things away? Like, do I throw my TV away? Like, it sounds a little extreme. Let me explain for us. If what's hindering your relationship with Jesus is sin, um, it's very clear. Like, there's nothing ambiguous about this. Laying aside the sin is like, just stopping it, like stop sinning, right? Like repent of it, confess it to your community group or whoever else, like stop sinning, right? If that's hindering you, you need to stop. But it's a little bit more of a gray area when you think about these other things, these other hindrances, right? Because when, when does something become a hindrance? Like what's helpful for me, what hinders me might not hinder you, right? Only you can really know what really hinders you in life. And again, Similar example, one example of this is the phone for me, right? And you might be able to relate, but, you know, right before COVID, I was, like, preparing a seminar on, like, technology for college group. And, you know, I realized, man, like, I'm on my phone all the time, right? Like, if I'm not on the computer working or, like, working out or whatever, like, I'm on my phone. Like, this is my default factory setting. I'll wake up. First thing I do is, like, check my email, right? See, like, what could have come in the, like, seven hours overnight, the last thing I do at night is like, yeah, I'm like scrolling, just like looking on social media, like refreshing to see if anyone posted a story in the past minute, right? And I realized this led to just a lot less sleep for me, a lot more distractions in the morning for me. Like I would be thinking about other things when I was reading the Bible or praying. And the phone, again, it's not inherently sinful, but it wasn't helping me run, Right, so the ver- my version of laying aside this hindrance was going to, you know, my settings, putting a time limit that, like, I sometimes break, like, putting a time limit on how much time I can spend on certain apps, 
like in the mornings, like literally removing my phone from my room so that like I, would, I wouldn't even have the temptation while I was in my devotional time. All right, laying aside sin it's, or hindrances, it might not be like, hey, getting rid of it completely, but being just knowing yourself well enough to see, hey, when does it become a hindrance? When does it distract me? Another hindrance, and I'm treading cautiously here because uh, it applies to me as well, but I think a hindrance that applies to our church is uh, just the broad general category of hobbies. Um, you know, I'm going to use like rock climbing as an example, but it can be like video games or golf or working out, anything else, right? You know what your hobbies are, right? These things are not bad, right? They can actually help. And I've seen, you know, like pickleball helping our church fellowship and growing in community, right? There's a definite like good to it. But our hobbies, especially us being in the OC and having like disposable income and time, like it can easily become hindrances. And you'll know when you, when you have these questions, right? Like what takes up your thought life? Like for me, like I carefully plan out, you know, my days and schedules and meetings and everything so that I can climb three times a week and spend X amount of time there, right? That takes up my thought life. Like what do you spend your money on? Like if there's a sale, I'm like really quick to buy new shoes for climbing, right? Or new gear, whatever else, right? And I don't think twice about it. What affects you emotionally, right? If you can't, you know, go to the gym or go golfing, are you like angry, frustrated? Like you have to ask these questions and whatever kind of came to mind, right? That could be the spiritual weight that you have to lay aside. Right? You have to limit the time that you spend thinking about it, how much money you spend on it, like regulating your emotions. But that just kind of shows like, man, anything in life can become a hindrance. So if you feel yourself feeling, being a little bit stagnant, right? This past season, you feel like you haven't really grown or progressed. Let me ask, is there a particular sin that you've been trying to manage? Or is some other hindrance that's kind of robbed you of the time that you could have spent moving forward, right? Running the race. We have to keep laying these things aside because the race that we're running, this life we're running, it's not about how quickly we reach the end, the time, right, or being faster than the person sitting next to you. It's literally just about reaching the finish line, right, just faithfully enduring until we reach the end, no matter what the pace is, right? So if you don't want to be weighed down, if you want to run freely, we have to put aside the spiritual weight vests that we've been putting on. So that's the first component of the race that we have to consider, right? If we want to run well, if we want to endure, we have to put aside, we have to lay aside our hindrances. And the next thing that we'll look at is the pacer, right? I'll explain what the pacer is, but one of the things that really surprised me when I ran the marathon was the pacers there. So pacers, what are they? When I got to the starting line, I saw these like people with like backpacks and like their bibs and then like a huge flag. They were just like carrying these huge flags. It was like three hours, 30 three hours, 45, four hours. Like there are all these different people with flags. And I found out basically pacers, they're, they're like the guides. They're the Sherpas. You know, they're trying to guide you throughout this marathon. You want to run a marathon in four hours? Okay, follow me, right? These people, they've run several mar- marathons probably. They probably are really familiar with the course. And their goal is to, it's to help you to run, uh, run the time that you want, but it's not just that. It's to really, like, encourage you. They're not just like, hey, you need, you need to run faster. Like, hurry up, right? They're not, like, mean about it. They're like, hey, like, this is a really hard part, right? Mile 17, there's an incline here. Let's, like, take it slow, you know? Like, they're encouraging you. They know exactly what they say so that you can keep running. 
They're going ahead of you, but they're also keep, kind of keeping their eyes on you to make sure that you're doing well. And it's obvious to see the parallel in the Christian life, right? The author of Hebrews, he points us towards a pacer as well. Right? Second half of verse 1, he says, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Or looking to Jesus, he's pacing us. Right? He knows this pace. Right? He knows the race. He, he knows how hard it is. He's saying if you want to finish, look to him. Keep your eyes on him and you won't grow weary and give up. So Jesus... He, we, we kind of know in our minds, he's the model, right? Okay, like he lived the perfect life so we can look to him. But like, if you really think about it, like as the pacer, his race, his marathon on earth was 33 years, right? He, he ran it faithfully and he knows exactly how hard it is. He endured persecution, insults, betrayal, all these other things. And he knows just how to encourage you. Right? To keep on running. And we have to keep consciously looking away from all these other distractions and we have to keep our eyes on him. Right? When life is hard, instead of ruminating or just kind of like spiraling down any negative thoughts about your situation, you have to consider him. Because in verse 3, the author, he writes, for consider him who endured. Right? The CSB and other translations, it doesn't really capture the meaning of the Greek well, but basically what he's saying is like you have to carefully calculate who Jesus is. You have, to, you have to carefully think about, man, like, how did Jesus live? How would Jesus have uh, responded to a situation like this? You have to calculate, like, what was the cost that he paid? You have to calculate what, what did he actually give up in order to bring us to him? You have to look to him to know that, hey, I'm not alone in the struggle, right? There's someone that went before me. I mentioned this in the past, but... Um, yeah, earlier this year, uh, before getting married, uh, as we were, you know, planning for the wedding and everything, I started seeing a spiritual director um, earlier this year because, you know, I just wanted to kind of get insight on like, hey, like, what is God doing in my life? Like, what, what are some things I can kind of um, take notice of before I get married? You know, I want to set myself up well. And, you know, looking back, I realized, um, yeah, like, it was, I was in like an extended season of like feeling overwhelmed. And just like discouraged uh, with, you know, ministry, with just personal conflicts, um, obviously, you know, wedding and just like trying to prepare for all that. There's just such a lot, such a, yeah, big amount of things going on. And, you know, like during that time, just to kind of give you a little peek inside what was going on, like, um, yeah, I was like walking with some students that were like dealing with really heavy stuff. Like they were, uh, situations were really hard for them. Um, yeah, they're like talking about like dark thoughts they're having, um, even like self-harm and ideation and all these other things. And like, I just remember like all the hours that like I spent on the phone with them and just like trying to encourage them, you know, like, and it was hard, right? Because no matter what I said, it didn't seem like it worked. And yeah, it was just a really emotionally taxing time, right? Just like having to deal with that. Um, more recently, like I was meeting and talking with different students that they were dealing with doubt. Like, how could God be a good God if this happened to, you know, all these people in my life? And like, I just remember driving to them, talking with them, trying to console them. And basically like one of them, just like I saw the student just walk away from faith. And that made me like super discouraged, very sad, right? 
And, you know, like outside of that, just like normal ministry things, just like hearing, you know, through the grapevine, like different students saying like, oh man, like, you know, this other ministry is so much better. Like I'm growing over here. This pastor is, you know, so much more gifted. And, you know, like I hear, I heard all those things and it's just, yeah, very discouraging. Um, it was hard. It was hard. And I was just kind of like bottling those things up inside. And, you know, I found myself during that time just asking, like, hey, like, am I cut out for this? Like, should I even, like, keep going down this path? <clears throat> like, this pastoral ministry stuff. Like, is it worth it? Um, yeah, it was just a hard time. And, yeah, I remember my spiritual director. Um, yeah, he was just really, like, good. Just, like, affirming the difficulties and just letting me know right? Like these were objectively just hard situations. And, you know, he didn't mean anything crazy, but he just asked me like, hey, and Daniel, like, where's Jesus in all of this? You know, like, how has it been with Jesus? And that's when like, I felt just really foolish, like very silly because like, like Jesus should have been the closest person to me at that time. But like, instead of bringing these things and unloading them to him, I was just kind of like very like inward looking, just saying, what can I do? Like, how, how can I fix this? How can I make this better? Yeah, like in that season, I realized, man, I lost sight of Jesus. Right? I was doing ministry. I was reading and praying and doing all the things I was supposed to, but I wasn't really considering who he was to me. He honestly felt just so far from me. And the question that my director asked, he, he made me think about, man, like, what was it like for Jesus? Right? And I was in that introspective mode of like, what, what was it really like for Jesus to endure everything? Right? When, when he needed his disciples and his friends, like they deserted him. Right? It wasn't just like people saying, hey, Jesus, I'm like not growing because of you. They were literally like, dude, like you're a heretic. Like they're trying to kill him. Hebrews 4, uh, 15, 16 says that Jesus is the great high priest. Right? He knows what we're going through. He's able to empathize with us. And I, and I thought, like, dude, if I just kind of kept going on and not considering and not looking at Jesus, like, who knows what would have happened? Like, would I still be preaching and doing college? I don't know. And I know not everyone here is pastoring college students or doing, you know, ministry in that sense. But is there something happening in your life where you're, you're trying to just navigate without Jesus? Where, like, he's not even in the picture. Is, is it just all up to you to figure out how to go overcome this obstacle, right? Does he feel far away from you right now? What do you do when you're like, your situation just feels so overwhelming and hopeless? And that's where I find comfort in the cloud of witnesses, right? In verse 1, the author, he starts saying, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Right? Don't have time to get into it, but in chapter 11, the chapter right before, there's just a bunch of different people in Israel's history. Right? Moses, Abraham, all the fathers and prophets, and every one of them had a different difficulty, right? a unique challenge for them. But what really unified all of them was like they were looking forward to Jesus. Right? They were all considering and looking forward to, to the one that was to come. Everyone had their own course, but again, they were just looking to Jesus. And what's comforting right now is we're not like those Old Testament saints. We have the Bible. We can actually look back at Jesus. We can look at his life and how he lived. We can see who he is. And everyone in this room is also going through something or you're going to go through something that seems unique, that seems like no one else can understand or help you in. 
But if you consider Jesus and what he did, you can feel like, man, at least a little bit of way to shed. Man, at least I know someone else knows what I'm going through. And this cloud of witnesses, it's easy to think, man, like, it's just, uh, just Abraham and Moses and Isaac. But it's not limited to just people from the Bible, right? Because I mentioned, you know, when I was walking through with that student, like, I had my own version of a, a cloud of witnesses. Um, just two people that really encouraged me during that time. Which one which was a brother at church, and one and the other was my then fiance, now wife Esther. And yeah, the 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 first person, the the brother at our church, he's actually younger than me, and he dealt with this student a lot more hands on. He actually like drove out to meet with them and like check in on them a lot more frequently, and like. During that time, because we knew we were going through this, we were trying to minister to the student. Like, we would like message each other, talk to each other at church. It's like, dude, how how are you doing? Like, I haven't been getting sleep, man. Like, it's just so stressful, right? And what that led to is like, dude, we prayed for each other. We asked for God to give us like, like God, like please do something, like help us because we don't know what to do. And my, and my wife, right, Esther, like, if you don't know, she works as a social worker, and she, like, like, is a mental health therapist, and so she has experience with this kind of stuff. So, you know, while we were talking, I was just like, hey, I'm sharing these things, and she has experience, right? She validated, man, like, this is a hard situation. Like, I know how hard it can be. She, you know, provided me, hey, maybe consider, like, calling this, this resource, or, like, hey, like, you, maybe ask these questions, Encourage them like this way. Don't do this. And she also prayed for me. And she like prodded and like basically forced me to like share all my feelings instead of like bottling them up. Who's in your cloud of witnesses, right? Do you have people like this where they can point you, right, in the midst of struggle to Jesus instead of just small talk or fantasy football or whatever else, right? I know that there's like so many good people here. They're, they're here. What we have to do, we just have to seek them out. When you're feeling disappointed or weary or you want to give up, I encourage you to consider Jesus. Right? He's the pacer that, that went before us and he knows exactly what you're going through. You're going to see what motivated him to endure, which brings us to the last component, which is the finish line. Right? What motivated Jesus to endure his race? What, what helped Jesus to endure the persecution or, or, or the mockery or the torture and the cross? What, what was at the finish line for him? Verse 2 spells it out very clearly for us. tells us, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that lay before him, he despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, last week I preached um, for our elementary students um, I took a look at the devotionals that the families were going through, and yeah, like, I was struck by week three, if you remember, parents, it's, uh, the theme was joy, and the quote really resonated with me as I, as I pre- prepared, because I think that it should be behind me, but in the devotional that our families were reading together, it's about joy, the devotional says, joy is one of the hardest human experiences to explain and describe, because the emotion goes beyond surface level life circumstances. Joy is sometimes confused with happiness. Happiness is often determined by the things that happen to us or around us. 
Joy is determined by something inside us. Since joy comes from within, we can find joy in both good and hard situations. And I read that and I was like, man, like our kids are reading this stuff? Like it's really deep. Like if I talk to one of them, like do they understand what joy is? But the motivation that Jesus had to endure everything in, li- in his life, to endure the cross was the joy, right? Like the quote says, joy is happiness that you can find in the midst of hard situations, good or bad. And Jesus He found joy during his hardships, especially in the days leading up to his betrayal and his death. But specifically, what is the joy that Jesus is running for? What really, like, explain that to me. Like, what is that? Because some of us, we think finding joy is about, hey, like having the best experiences. You know, vacation or food, restaurant, wherever it might be. Or joy is having the best stuff, the newest stuff, just upgrading whenever Apple releases something, Right? Or it's curating this perfect lifestyle, right? Like cereal magazine or whatever. But all these things, it just kind of shows our idea of joy. It's all very selfish. It's all about the self. It's all about me. But the joy Jesus was running for, it's not about himself, but it's about others, right? It's not self-focused. It's self-giving. It's others-oriented. And the joy he was running for, it was to see his people forgiven, I think about a doctor. He might go on a medical mission trip to a third world country. Like, think about, man, these are people who don't have access to a hospital, a doctor, medicine, anything like that. Think about the joy he'll have when he's, like, treating these patients, right? Giving them the, the penicillin or whatever else that they don't have. Like, if he wasn't there, like, what would their life look like? Think about the joy that he has in really just treating them. That's the kind of joy that Jesus endured the cross for. Right, to bring others to him. For we were sick and we needed a cure. We needed him. And he had joy in bringing us to him. Right, the, whole Jesus, the whole reason Jesus came down to us in the form of man was to make right what went wrong. To reconcile us toward him. And where do I get this? Uh, right before going to the cross, uh, in the Gospel of John, there should be a couple slides behind me. Right? In, the, in the days before he's about to be crucified... Look what he says, right? Chapter 15, 11. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Chapter 16, verse 20. Truly I tell you, you weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You'll become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. A couple verses later, he says, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. And in his prayer to God the Father in chapter 17, he says, now I am coming to you, Father, I speak these things in the world so that they, meaning us, meaning sinners reconciled to him now, may have my joy completed in them. Right before he gives himself up to die, his focus is not on his joy or his comfort or avoiding the pain. His his focus is our joy, right? It sounds weird to say that, but that's what he ran the race for. Right? If we saw the finish line and we in our race and we saw death on a cross. I, I'm not thinking joy. I'm thinking that's really sad. That's really scary. That's, oh, that's not fair. But because Jesus' death was a literal, physical death, he had to endure it. It's not like he was just nailed and then right away he died. Like For over six hours, he had to endure the pain in his hands, his feet, all over his body. And that's scary. right? We don't think that's joy. Right? We're so quick to think that, man, like his death, that's just a formality. He needed to do that. Right, But when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and consider him what he did, 
doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense in human terms why he would do that. Why would you endure that much pain for people like you and me, right? People that are messed up. But scripture says that's where he finds joy, right? It's not his own comfort, but our joy. And I think this is a word I needed personally because, again, this past year, it's been hard. This past season, it's been difficult for me. And like this concept of joy is something I've been wrestling with. Like, for example, like people I work with, um, they'll say like, man, Shim, like you never complain. You always have a smile on your face. And I'm like, yeah, but like inside, I don't really feel that. You know, not all the time, at least. Like, I wouldn't say I'm just this like sullen, like very sad person. But I wouldn't say like I'm marked by joy because sometimes I'm just like, I have a smile on my face, but like, I'm just so tired. I'm like waiting for the Sunday afternoon nap. Like, I'm just so tired sometimes. And I feel a little bit like fake, right? Because I realize just how easily my happiness, my joy is determined by things around me, right? Like if I feel like I bombed a teaching or something went wrong or I have a discouraging conversation with a student, like my instinct is to feel like, man, I'm a failure. Like I messed up. I need to do better next time, right? How can I do better? Rather than going and and feeling comfort from Jesus. Are you able to relate, right? What is your idea of joy? Is it determined by pleasure or comfort? Right? If it is, this, this idea of joy is a selfish one. It's not the type of joy that Jesus ran for. Does the gospel bring you joy? Right? Is this, or is, is the gospel that the good news that Jesus died and rose again for you, is that just something you've heard a thousand times and you're just kind of like nodding your head along to? So I have to admit, like, it's hard. Like, it's not natural for me to feel joyful. I have to fight for it. And, and I think that's exactly why the author of Hebrews wrote this letter. He's saying it, it is hard. It's not natural for us to feel joy when life is hard and difficult. Right? In the midst of weariness, endure. Right? Persevere so that you can experience the same joy I have in bringing you to me. Right? He's, Jesus is talking about a happiness that's determined by something inside of us, which is him, right? He doesn't want us to grow weary and give up. So as I close, if this past year was another mile in the marathon, if it was just another leg of the race you're running, what has your pace been like? Right? Some of you, you've been running too fast. You've been just doing way too much. And you're kind of like, man, it's the last year of 2023. I'm weary. I want to give up. I think the word Jesus has for you is to slow down, right? Don't get so uh, ensnared by these things that like, it's not all about what you can do down here on earth, but it's what's waiting for you at the finish line. It's this joy, right? Joy of being with Christ, of hearing well done, good and faithful servant. Others of you, you've been maybe going too slowly, right? Especially for us that have been churched in the OC, in the suburbs, we might think, hey, like I've done my due diligence. I've done enough. I've kind of run far enough. I'm going to just set up shop here. I'm going to stop running, be comfortable. Yeah, you, we might have maybe taken on a lot of these good things, not sinful things, and that might be slowing us down. It might be hindering us from really pressing into Christ. Lay them aside and maybe consider speeding up a little bit. And still others of us, uh, maybe we're not even on the course right now. Or maybe we strayed away from the course, right? Maybe we're just kind of like don't care about who Jesus is or what the joy thing is, right? Consider maybe turning your eyes away from these things of the world and looking at Christ and considering him. So as I invite the praise team up, where do you see yourself? 
right? What, which pace group are you in, right? Are you slow? Are you fast? Do you need to get on course? The author of Hebrews, I have to remind us, is a pastor, and he's encouraging his church members that were struggling, that were being persecuted, that were in danger of maybe giving up their faith. He's writing to people like you and me, right? People like us thinking, hey, why should I even run? Right? Why, why should I even care about this Jesus stuff? And the reason we run is to experience this joy right now, not just when we get to heaven, right? Allow Jesus to be an example for you because he's offering you his joy in the middle of everything that you're going through. So I don't know if, you know, everyone here is into resolutions and stuff, but if, our, if I could just encourage us to make our resolution not just for 2024, but for all of life to keep moving forward, no matter how fast or slow, let's, let's continue. Let's endure. Let's run well. Because I know we all have our own races, but in here we have this cloud of witnesses, right, where we can encourage each other and point each other to Christ. Let's pray.